Hi there! This is Shades of Brown, a weekly show about computers and culture. I'm your host, Christian, and join with me as always is... It's Sadiq Safe, and this is episode 23. We're going to start off today with uh, an Android phone. Uh, not the most exciting of Android phones, but the Android phone OnePlus 5. The most memeable of Android phones, though. You got to hashtag never settle, man. I just I want to I want to talk about the stupid marketing campaign before we get into the phone. So like, I want to say way back when when Google Plus was kind of relevant for people who liked Android phones, I actively used it. Like we had so many great jokes about this never settle campaign because it's like OnePlus is like yeah when you when you purchase a device from us when you purchase a OnePlus phone you're you know you'll never settle for like the lowest specs. We'll always give you like the highest specs and the best performance. And it's like that shit's not true. Like, I think it was OnePlus 4 had, like, a bunch of great things, no NFC. The OnePlus 3, I think, just had a bad camera. The first two were okay, because those ones were at least, like, $300. So you could, you'd like, for, like, the price, you were getting a good phone. But, like, the phones have been getting more expensive, and this whole entire Never Settle, Never Settle campaign is just hilarious. I think they stopped using that. Uh, I don't think they're still using that particular branding. Um, so the OnePlus 5. Snapdragon, let's get the specs out of the way first. Uh, so Snapdragon 835, uh, 6 gigs of RAM, uh, 479 US dollars. Yeah, uh, so yeah, this is 180p screen, uh, Android 7.1.1. And this is running Oxygen OS, which I think is their Forkasai engine, right? Yeah, uh, this is mostly stock Android with some uh, small tweaks. Yeah, they have a customizable, like, Google Now style page, but it's, like, more like the Today View and iOS. Um, it's just, like, power user Android, right? Stock, but uh, with enough tweaks to make even the most ardent neck beards happy. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically, it's people who like Cyanogen mod uh, will probably like uh, Oxygen OS. And, but the phone itself uh, looks, like, uh, looks like an iPhone 7. It's, it's an iPhone 7 with uh, the same amount of bezel and a more... But I mean, it's not a bad design. It's just uninspired. Um, what I really want to talk about, though, is like they, they had a video on The Verge, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes. You can always find us at shadesofbrown.com, um, where they were talking about the design process. And they just kind of defeated. They're like, yeah, you know, if you're going to have two cameras, you kind of have to make a phone look like this. And I was like, I guess. But I mean, even then, I, does it matter if it looks like an iPhone or not? No, it doesn't. Uh, to be honest, it doesn't really bother me either way. I mean, I don't think Apple cares either, but... Yeah, because you look at, like, the Dell XPS uh, 13, the HP Envy Elite X, I think that one would be the Windows phone. Whatever, the one that, um, they're, they're MacBook competitors, right? They look exactly like MacBooks, except they uh, just have, like, different etching on the back or whatever, but it's essentially the same form factor. I feel like once you, once, like, you either have Samsung's design or Apple's design to copy, and there's not really, every time someone tries something different, you end up with, like, Microsoft's Windows phones, which usually kind of don't have that great of hardware design. Build quality, yes, right, but, like, the actual design. Once you got past the polycarbonate stuff, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah, so this is, this is a metal body, uh, not glass. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean... Aluminum all around except for the plastic antenna lines. Um... So the problems here, there are a couple, a few problems. First of all, the camera is uh, not good. Yeah, it's a 16-megapixel it's um, regular lens, and then they have, like, the telephoto lens, like the iPhone 7 has, which is 20 megapixels. 
you can swap to it for optical zoom and it does like the portrait mode stuff but the problem being uh none of the pictures it takes looks good yeah it looks uh pictures look like they are watercolor paintings uh colors look weird and like it's just it's just not like i guess it just didn't get a good uh image signal processor in there uh which is is the main problem with, with with bad smartphone cameras right yeah, so every every smartphone camera like basically uses like Sony lenses and whatever. Uh but the the real the real processing or the real meat of it is always in the uh image signal processor. Uh and those are usually very expensive to license and whatnot. So Or even then too, right? Um most of the parts go to larger companies before they go to a company that has a OnePlus anyways. So they're probably fighting over lesser parts just because they uh, don't have the size to get access to the better quality parts. And then also, too, with the, with the portrait mode stuff especially, it's just a bad algorithm for detecting, like, people. The blurs, it, it has, like, that weird halo effect. The uh, blur effect they applied to the portrait mode stuff doesn't look as great. It just, yeah, it just, it's just not a, like, so if you're buying this phone, um, you, like, you're going to have to understand this is, like, this is worse than the Nexus 5, honestly. I no, mean, no, no, no. It is not. This camera is serviceable. I mean, this is a, those watercolor photos look... That, that's when it was zoomed all the way in, though. Yeah, that's, like, that's, a, that's 100% crop. It looks watercolor Okay, when, fine. Uh, so when you zoom out all the way, it's still like it looks like a little painted on, but it does just... I mean, you, you do a 100% crop of an iPhone photo, and you're going to find problems. Even the Pixel, which has probably the best camera on the market right now, you do that, and you're still going to find problems there. This isn't a DSLR. You can't get 100% crop and expect perfection, right? Yeah, that's true. That much is true. So, yeah, but the camera is not good. Like, for the, like, 479, you're going to get a all right camera. It's serviceable, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean, that's it. Also, the other thing, updates. Uh, OnePlus is... Uh, not like we don't really know like it's three to mo- or three to four months wait time for major os updates uh no promise of security updates which is the more concerning uh problem here yeah and i mean well oneplus usually puts out betas for people to try i believe i don't know if they still do that back when i was following android heavily they did that uh it's just i I don't know, like, the updates usually come, but late, right? So, like, OnePlus isn't, like, as bad as Samsung, where phones just never get updates. The updates will come, but um, you'll be waiting months at a time for updates. Yeah, and there's no guaranteed uh, support uh, period either, so it's not like you know when the, when the updates are going to stop. Uh, so like, like, how Pixels or Nexus devices... Have the really uh, shitty policy. I just, I just want to point out shitty policy of 18 months. It's a shitty policy, but you know uh, what, what, what the policy is uh, for, for, the, for the update, so you can make a decision based on that. Uh, but for OnePlus, you don't really have any sort of guarantee on that. Uh, which is, which is well, if, if you're okay with that, I suppose this is, this is a decent sort of phone. Well, I mean, it's... Um... This phone is, the problem being is that OnePlus phones used to be serviceable at the price, right? So for a $300 phone, you would get a 1080p screen, you get good specs, camera might be bad, build quality might be, un- build quality is good, but the design might be uninspired, but for the price you're paying, that's fine because the screen, the phone runs fine, and the battery life is not bad, and the software is not terrible. That, when you get to like the $300 to $200 phones between $500, it's good. 
But this one starts out basically at just under $500 and it only goes up and the most expensive model is right below an iPhone. And at that point you are comparing it because it's like, if it's just $100 more to get an S8, if it's $100 more to get an iPhone, what the competition is no longer these mid-range Android phones. The competition is the flagships. And if OnePlus wants to play in that ballpark game, they need more inspired hardware design. They need better customer support, which um, OnePlus is really shitty at. OnePlus does not have good customer support. They also need to be better with their software updates. Cameras are camera, right? Like it's, I feel like they're the only reason why OnePlus can't get good cameras is because they're not a big enough company. Like it's the same thing for HCC or for LG, right? Like we, we all shit on them for having bad cameras, but at the end of the day, it's Apple who gets the best Sony parts and Samsung who I think, depending on the phone, they'll use their own sensor or they'll also get Sony sensors. Yes, most, most uh, manufacturers use Sony or uh, Samsung might use their own. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, yeah this OnePlus 5, it's good to have at least something decent in the, in the sub 500 US dollar range. Uh, yeah, because it used to be that, like, a Motorola was, like, for cheap phones, it's like Motorola OnePlus, but nowadays, Motorola's a little questionable. Ever since they got purchased by Lenovo, they haven't been as strong with their mid-range showings. It's still better than, like, the cheap ZTE or Huawei uh, phones out there, or what cheap Samsung ones. But um, there's also another thing we need to mention, is that they cheated on their benchmarks. Like, it's 2012 all over again. All right, so the problem here, what they're doing... Um is they're doing app detection. So they're detecting uh, benchmarking apps. And what they're doing is bumping the min minimum, uh, what is it? What's the, the frequency? Yeah, frequency of the CPU. So, so whatever they detect, like a benchmarking app, they just bump the minimum speed, uh, speed and they're like, so they're basically cheating on, on benchmarks because that's not real. That's not going to be the performance you're going to get in, in day-to-day uh, usage. Which is which is which is really lame. Honestly, nobody should be doing this. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it's twofold because a benchmarks are kind of dumb. Yeah, it is. Because uh, there's a lot of phones that benchmark very well, but because of poor optimization of software or GPU drivers, when you're using regular like non-game things, it, they'll start to chug. Or my favorite Android problem is that three months from now, this phone is slow for no reason. That's a more Samsung problem than it's. Uh everybody else problem i think most most reviewers these days will say that it's it's really a samsung problem only these days Uh, i think everybody else has solved it for the most part yeah but it's still right it's like benchmarks are not indicative of the overall system performance when it comes to android because it's like if you benchmark a brand new phone with no apps installed like install the facebook app let it sit there for a month building up a huge ass cache and just running in the background doing god knows what and then just try using the phone afterwards right like, it, it can even make, like, the strongest of phones keel to their knees. Yeah, it really is. Uh, that's, I mean, it's, hopefully it's, it's starting to get better with Android uh, all and stuff. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, so, yeah, the cheated on benchmarks. Take whatever of that you will, I mean. It's, uh, but overall, like, right, this phone, it's a good phone, but just the price doesn't add up to what they're offering. It's, it's, it's all right. That's, that's basically my verdict on that. It's, it's all right. <laughs> it's fine but you know though too before we get to the next topic i've honestly been thinking about just like buying a cheap android yes, phone and same. trying to make an app for it mm-hmm. like i've been because like um i've seen like i want to get like one of those 20 dollar ones you just find like shrink wrapped and just like see how bad how it's gone oh, those are bad 
Doesn't matter. But I mean, like, you know, right? These are the phones people actually use. Mm, yeah, the OnePlus, I, I imagine, is going to get a bunch of sales uh, because of its price. No, OnePlus, I know, not really. OnePlus only sells it, it's like enthusiasts. Oh, that's true. The demographic is... You, you can't buy a OnePlus besides their online store, which is really hard to get to, right? And they only ship, like, they only do ship them in batches. All right. I guess that it's, it's not... All right. I mean, but it, as an enthusiast of of things, of technology, it's it's intriguing to... Because at that price point, it's like... like It's, it's like a spare Android or a spare phone uh, or a spare Android device uh, as a backup or whatever or for developing uh, Android apps or testing apps. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine, I guess. I mean... That's, that's if, if you're in the market for that, I think this is, this is actually a perfect device. So a quick aside before we go into the, the main topic of the show, all right, is that Spotify is now in the Windows Store. Windows. Uh, yeah, Spotify is in the Windows Store. It's, it's a Centennial uh, app, which, is, uh, which means just, it's just the Win32 app wrapped in... Uh... It's wrapped in a UWP wrapper, so it essentially... Um... I, it's like a weird thing. It's it's one of Microsoft bridges. Um, like if you remember, like built three years ago, they had an iOS bridge, an Android bridge, and a Win32 bridge, and I think something for server side stuff. And um, the Android one was killed because it ran too well. <laughs> I remember I had builds of Windows Phone 10, the Insider builds, where it was like half enabled, where you can get to it if you just mess with some developer settings, and it ran really nice. And Microsoft ended up killing it because they felt like if they had a perfect Android emulation, no one would make Windows apps. And honestly, Android apps are kind of shitty, so I, I don't blame them. The iOS one just converts Objective-C and iOS stuff over to the uh, correct Windows APIs. I think it's still an Objective-C, but it's like not, it's like a, I want to say a clean house re-implementation of UIKit and Foundation, which is it's really interesting, and it works pretty well. I think they've gotten it up to iOS 6 or 5 or 7, maybe, SDK status of like feature parity. Which is really interesting. Um, but so Project Centennial takes a Win32 app, rewraps it in a UWP wrapper. So it's sandboxed. It um, doesn't touch any of your system stuff. Microsoft can control and the app runs in the background and all that stuff. Um, they can scan it for so there's no malware or anything like that. So you get all the benefits of a Win32 app and all the benefits of a sandbox app. But I mean, you don't get any of the moderate controls like this can't run on an Xbox. It can't run on your phone. Um, it doesn't get some of the advanced notification stuff. There's some like API stuff you're missing out on, obviously, because it's legacy code. But it's better than nothing. And apps wrapped in the uh, Project Centennial framework can run on Windows S. Yeah, that's true, because they are supplied from the Windows Store, which means they will install on Windows which which is, I suppose, the what Spotify is trying to do. Like, they're trying to get that market as well. Um, but yes, for now, I tried installing it, and it, it failed to migrate settings from the desktop app, uh, which I suppose is, I mean... Yeah, because what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to, like, uninstall your desktop app, move all of your music, cache, and stuff over to the, um, went into the store app, and keep all your preferences, and do it with, like, silently, maybe, like, a little prompt when you first open it, but uh, it definitely just failed on you. Yeah, it just, it just says Spotify may have failed to migrate. Uh, no details on what failed, but uh, it, it did say it failed. So, I mean, it's not Windows if you don't have bad error messages. Yeah, it's, yeah that's unfortunate. Uh, I suppose that'll probably get fixed uh, in the upcoming releases. But yeah, so that's available in the Windows Store if you use Windows devices. Probably, you want, probably you're probably you interested in uh, 
and Spotify. You just do that. So moving on to the main topic, uh, we're going to be talking about web browsers for a little bit here. Ooh, the open web. The open web. All right. So um, we we're going to start with Chrome. Everyone's the most used web browser now, I think. It's, uh, yeah, old versions of IE. Chrome has overtaken to be the most used worldwide. I think America might have a different demographic of people, of ratio. I think more people might still be using IE in the States. But um, at least worldwide, Chrome is the most used browser. And I just, it's the new Internet Explorer. Have you, like, there are so many web pages you go to, and it's like, this works best in Chrome. Or this is Chrome only. Like, I remember the new Google Earth. They redid it a while back um, to have, like, a really great web app. And I opened it in Safari, and they're like, sorry, this will only work in Google Chrome. So why? So, okay, so let's take the example of Google Earth. Uh, why would it only work in Chrome? What is it doing that it's only going to work in Chrome? I want to say it's custom blink. Like, uh, so for people who don't know, here's how web standards work. Say, for example, I want to add, you want to make it so that you can make websites scream out the word, like, cat. And you want it to make a regular call, right? So it's just an HTML tag you would put into a web page or a CSS um, tag that you'd put, you'd pen to your HTML, right? And to make that a standard process of screaming the word cat, you would start with a um, preposition on a, not a preposition, but a whatever the word is. <laughs> no, not a prefix. Yeah, it's a prefix, right? So it'd be, you, you would like, uh, people on Google would be like, all right, we want to add this. We'll just add a prefix in Chrome, right? So if you do like dash Chrome, dash screaming, dash cat, it would work in Chrome. Other web browsers would ignore it because they don't know what it is. And then there's a lot of custom stuff for that. So like, for example, if a website has custom scroll bars, that was not standard until a couple of years back, but that's been a thing since 2007, 2008 in Safari, uh, WebKit and Chrome, which is Blink. Um, it would be dash webkit dash scroll bars, and you could create your own custom scroll bars that would replace the system ones in web pages. And so it's a great place for vendors to try out new standards and stuff before. Please get it to the WE3 or W blah W W3C. Yes, it's um you have to have there's working groups for stuff. You have to submit it. You uh, they wait on it. It's a slow process as it should be because you don't want. You want web standards to move fastly, right? But you don't want, like, HTML to be changed for the worse. So there's committees and stuff. It's like any evolution process that talked about, implemented, and then it'll be finally pushed out to all uh, vendors to use as a uh, safe API. Chrome just has a lot of custom stuff. A lot of custom Blink or WebKit stuff, right? Is it? Is it well, it's Blink now, right? Because WebKit's do own separate thing. And WebKit isn't as bad as it used to be with a bunch of custom stuff. They've toned down. Um, what I think it mostly comes down to, though, is a lot of the WebRTC, WebGL stuff. So if you use it, yeah, so WebGL is standard, but there's a lot of uh, extensions for it, um, stuff that lets you get deeper level graphics performance and all that stuff. A lot of that tends to be Chrome first, because Google just implements it, and then because they have the power, they can just kind of brute force everyone else. Or if you have web components, like we were talking about a while back, none of that is st was standard when it first came out, right? Web components and all that started as service workers. Service workers never even got finalized by the W3C. And then uh, web components is the finalized version of it. So that's why Apple and Microsoft are now taking bits of it. WebRTC is the same kind of thing, right? Google just pushes it out there without going through the standards bodies. 
And so they start building like, say, Hangouts with uh, WebRTC support, right? So you can do video chatting in the browser without a plugin. None of that's standard. That's all custom Chrome stuff. And because of that, that makes these web apps, which should work in every single browser, only work in Google Chrome. Yeah, this is this is reminding me a lot of uh, ActiveX. ActiveX back in the nineties, uh, thousands. Um, yeah, it's reminding me a lot of Internet Explorer six and whatnot. Uh, not not a good time uh, to be in the browser industry back then. Uh, but it's not a good time right now too, right? Because even like everyone expects people only test in Chrome, right? Like you. You sort of use Firefox a bit, right? You notice how like some web pages get weird with their animations and stuff. Yeah, definitely, I've noticed some weird oddities uh, yeah. in Firefox. Like the like the web page works fine. Like for example, the outline, great website. They have like this really weird like squiggly line animation when you hover over links. Broken in Firefox, the layout's fine, but it's like little things like that that people don't test because they're using they're tying they're only like testing in Safari and Chrome because that's what people use, right? Yeah, web developers usually just test. I mean, you shouldn't. I mean, you should be testing in all major browsers. Well, they're probably testing for layout, right? That's why it's like, how much work would it be to fix this animation in Firefox? And it's just like, these are probably using maybe some like WebKit specific stuff or some Blink specific stuff. Uh, this is this is unfortunate, really. Uh, but I guess who's gonna save the day? Last last time Internet Explorer was this way, uh, Firefox arrived and saved everyone it was i want to say it was it was chrome though that saved people from internet explorer piece firefox came around 3.5 i want to say it was probably the height of firefox right after that it just started falling off when they switched to four and they completely copied chrome uh we can talk more about firefox in a moment but um i want to say it was chrome that came through because that's like probably the first time people actually started because google started pushing out marketing like on tv shows and stuff to get people to download a web browser I feel like Firefox sort of saved the day because, like, Firefox brought the competition and then Google decided to get into the business as well uh, of making Chrome. And Chrome quickly uh, overtook Firefox for it. And it's just, you know, that's how it has been. Chrome is basically... Oh, yeah, well, so, like, Firefox started it, right? But then, like, Chrome was, like, really the one that made people actually care. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely the case. Like, you remember back in... Uh... Back when we were trying to see, like, if if a web browser of a new version would pass the Acid Three test. Oh, Acid Three. Oh, that's that's a name I haven't heard in, in a while. Oh, man. yeah, browsers. I mean, I I mean, they're they're fine. Like, if you only use Chrome or Safari or Firefox, I mean, it's fine. It's it's all it's all fine. Most people probably won't notice the problems we're talking about here, right? I mean, well, you notice it with Chrome, right? Chrome's getting bloated. Chrome's not good for your battery life. Chrome can slow down a machine. Chrome uses lots of RAM. Like, people notice that their computers get slow when they have Chrome open for a while, or they only use Chrome. Yeah, that's, that's something. Uh, I mean, Chrome, Chrome has improved a lot on that, on that front. Battery life, they've definitely been working on significant improvements, uh, especially on Mac OS uh, for battery life. But, you know, it's still a very hungry app. Uh, yeah, so like if you're using Mac OS or if you're using Windows, you're probably better off just using Edge or Safari. Probably, yeah. Probably, I'm, I'm using I'm using Chrome everywhere now. Uh, but yeah, so for, moving on to Firefox, we're gonna talk about Firefox released a new big version, uh, version fifty four on stable. Uh, it it comes with multi process support enabled by default for everyone. It's, this is a uh, hashtag finally moment because I just. 
it's been 10 years. It's actually been 10 years since they first started shipping out nightly builds that had like a branch where you can just enable some of this stuff and about flags. And yeah, this is a pro if, if, you're, if you're familiar with Firefox, it is project uh, E10S or electrolysis, uh, separating uh, rendering into separating tabs into sort of like sort of it doesn't do one tab per process like Chrome does, but it does separate out some aspects of uh, Firefox into separate processes, which means that the UI doesn't block on opening new tabs that are heavy and stuff. Like it doesn't block the UI, which which is which is lovely because it makes Firefox a lot a lot smoother. I've been running this uh, stuff uh, on Firefox, uh, and it's good. It's really good. If if you if you use Firefox, you should definitely update unless unless you're using add-ons that don't support multi-process. Um, I, I'm gonna go out and say that uh, fuck your add-ons, that this multi-process is way better. Like I would, I'd, I'd take a hit on the add-ons that don't support it and just update to it because the biggest benefit to users besides the UI stuff being smoother is that if one tab crashes, it can't take down your entire browser, which was still a problem for Firefox in the year of our Lord, 2017. So I would I would say the update's worth losing out compatibility with some up, with some add-ons until they update because Mozilla's been saying for like the past four years that this is a thing, <laughs> like the past ten years honestly. Like if your add-on has not uh, does not have basic support for this by now, like um just maybe stop using that add-on. Yeah, there's some add-ons that are really useful but uh have been haven't been updated like the X marks add-on, um for Firefox is uh is does not support multi-process. I had to disable it, but yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, the main attraction of Firefox, at least back in the day, was the add-ons that were very sort of uh, deep in Firefox. Like they would access all these hooks, right, and all these uh, APIs and stuff that, that 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 that's not present in like the newer add-on system, right? It's more restricted. And... The the new web based one that's not using all the uh, X X U L was the was for the old add ons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the old add ons were very like in there. Like you could do a lot of stuff with the add ons, but uh, now the the add ons are not as like you know like powerful as as they used to. Be. Man, I remember back in two thousand nine when people were like, "Check out my sick Firefox add on." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's basically Chrome extensions now, right? It's yeah, like it's essentially Chrome. it's the same kind of system as Chrome extensions. Which is probably for the best to have it run in a web process because then you can just throw it. It's easier to multiprocess it. It's easier to control it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so if, if you use Firefox, go update uh, and see if, if see how fast it is. Yeah, always update your web browsers for security reasons. Like, let's, let's put that out there. Yeah. I mean, Firefox uh, should auto-update eventually. Like, it does auto-update. Uh, so, but if you want to, like, get it, like, quicker, uh, you can manually update, obviously. Uh, so that's Firefox. Uh, next up, we want to talk about Vivaldi, uh, I think. So actually, we need to talk about Opera beforehand because Vivaldi and Opera have an interesting history. So Opera uh, used to run its own... Opera used to be a good web browser. Let's get that straight. Opera used to be the web browser that enthusiasts would use because it had an IRC client and had an email app built in. It was, Opera was the kitchen sink. You could literally live in Opera. It was the Emacs of web browsers, right? You could do whatever you want in Opera, and it was beautiful. And it had features like uh, the whole UI was customizable, or as a favorite that everyone misses dearly, tab stacking, which for those of you who do not know what that is, 
It is you grab one tag a tab, you drag it, drag it on top of another tab, and you can stack it to make a group of tabs that lives in your tab bar. It was a really great way to organize all of your tabs. There's like add-ons that would let you automatically make tab stacks by domain. It was great stuff. Um, and then Opera was bought out by this Chinese company and completely re redid the UI, uh, redid the app, started from version one, right? And it's essentially a fork of Chrome now with like a different UI, but none of the power user features. And there's like no real reason to use Opera nowadays because it's not even faster than Chrome. Vivaldi, yeah, it's old Opera but with a new rendering engine, which is essentially all like. There's 40 people out there who really wanted that. I'm included. Um, I know I haven't spoken to him a while, but one of our friends from IRC is probably loving Vivaldi. Yes, definitely. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of uh, customizability. Like, as soon as you launch the browser, it asks you for a theme, like, to choose a theme. And it is it is really, like, and you go to the options menu, and there's, like, every particular option so this is basically if you if you want the same rendering prowess of chrome but you want the ui customization that chrome doesn't have and it has every one of those options like it's it's, it's amazing oh yeah like you can essentially have your theme change at the time of day you can have tabs be on the top bottom left right you can have the address bar be top bottom left right you can like control the size of it there's so many like grab handles for dragging and resizing things inside the app um it's it's just an insane amount of options mm -hmm. and I yeah love it's it. just like it also has stuff like mouse gestures and like oh mouse gestures so this is a great feature back like for if you're on a trackpad honestly mouse gestures are not that great because what you do is you right click and then you flick your mouse up down left and right and it'll do things in the um app like it'll go backwards forwards refresh the page like if you you can have it set where you drag your mouse in a circle while holding the right click button down and it will just refresh the page and it's so beautiful yeah, it's definitely quite quite the browser. I, I'm glad it exists for the few people that really uh, want browsers like these, uh, who really want to customize uh, their browser, but still want to use like Chrome's uh, powerful rendering engine. So, I mean, that's Vivaldi. I mean, that's all the to topics for today. Uh, this is going to be a short one. There hasn't been much news this week, so. Yeah, this, yeah. it's been a slow week. You know, just wanted to... Do do some do a classic tech podcast, right? Two classic <laughs> tech podcasts. Uh, you can find us uh, as always on twoshadesofbrown.com. You can find me on Mastodon at static save at mastodon.zombocloud.com. And I'm on uh, Mastodon at Josephine at boys.computer. Please federate with me. <laughs> you can also uh, email us uh, feedback at twoshadesofbrown.com. Wait, isn't it uh, contact at twoshadesofbrown.com? Yes, it's sorry. Sorry, it's contact at twoshadesofbrown. I can't, I can never remember. Uh, yeah, it's contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. And uh, then um, you... also, too, we have a new show called yes. uh, Pentagonal, which I'm going to pimp out here real quick. Me and my friend Jake, we, uh, it's another technology podcast, but we talk about privacy and security. Episode one came out last week. You can find it at pentagonal.stipes.co um, it'll be a link in the show notes of course and I'd really love for you guys to check it out because I think if you like this show um, it'd definitely be something you're interested in yes uh, please check it out the first episode was, was really really good uh, uh, you should all check it out and with that mm -hmm. goodbye bye